Hey, hey, welcome back to this episode of I Date Money. I'm your host, Lisa Drennan, your wealth activator. And today we have Jeremy Rodrock, creator of the Roadmap to Relationship Mastery for Men. He's a husband, father, international champion, and six-degree kung fu master. Don't get in his way. Multi-time best-selling author, hypnotherapist, neurostrategist, and consultant. Author of the only parenting book with a money-back guarantee, Jeremy is on a mission to help dads who lead in business to create strong marriages, raise amazing kids, and have businesses they love. He's been through bankruptcy, living in a tent in the woods, car repossession, kicked out of where he was living after a second lung collapse, closed his dream business, and more, and through it all, he's developed specific strategies and tools to help keep his mindset playful and strong. I have to say he's very playful. Had some tech issues and he was a good sport about it. Even sent a cute little email after he got the hundred reminders I sent all my guests so they're on time for their podcast and I was late because <laughs> Zoom decided it needed an update. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for being here, for sharing your energy. Bankruptcy, we got that in common. Tell me about your bankruptcy. Yeah, so I got leveraged. Like I, um, I, I had a martial arts school, and I decided to self-fund it and and build it out on my own. And I dumped in. I, I, I defaulted on eight credit cards to build that thing out. Like I just, I grab money. I'm gonna build it. It's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I dropped twenty grand on radio advertisements. Big hint: if you're not like geographically established and broad, don't waste money on radio because it is way too generalized. But I was young and hungry and silly, and so yeah, I I ended up hyper leveraged and hyper extended, and cash flow didn't keep up, and so you got to recover how you got to recover, and so went went the the chapter eleven process. And really interesting was I didn't hear from my lawyer for a while. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? I have questions. I have concerns. But about a month, month and a half, finally get a hold of his um, his paralegal, who is his wife. He had passed away in his sleep. Wow. And so that threw everything sideways. But I was like, I felt really bad for her because she woke up next to him and he was not. And my heart went out. I was like, oh, my Lord, are you okay? Like, like, yeah, I got this whatever going on. We'll deal with that. But are you, how are you? Because I can't, at that point I was single, but I could not imagine that situation. So, yeah, um, it dropped off a couple of years ago now, which is nice. And definitely for, for a masculine person, like bankruptcy is a hit because like for a lot of guys, their self-worth and their net worth are very intimately linked. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that took some processing. Yeah. And so many have filed for bankruptcy. I used to be a bankruptcy paralegal and mm-hmm. my job was to create budgets for them after they filed so that they wouldn't end up in that place again. And I ended up being coming bankrupt at 22. I was a single mom and, you know, just someone had forged my name on a loan that I was responsible for. They were going to repossess my car and I was able to stop oh. that. But that debt that they had incurred, um, plus my own debt, I just did not see another way out. And a lot of times there isn't another way out. I like to say now there is as a wealth activator. That's one of the things I love doing is helping my clients be debt free and really strategically being able to pay down their debt. So after you became debt free, you're, you're, you know, bankruptcy, they say seven years and you start to build up your credit again and all of that. Um, But some gurus out there say credit's no good. (laughs) It doesn't matter what your credit score is. Um, it's how you're managing your money and thinking about that relationship speaking. If money was a person, what's your relationship look like? 
Yeah. Well, money is, I like Zig Ziglar's comment. Um, money's not the most important thing, but it's reasonably close to oxygen. And when you need it, you really need it. <laughs> and so, you know, in our situation, because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a solopreneur, our cash flow is an adventure. You know, sometimes we have we have clients on receivable and they're good to go and we have a cash flow for a while. And then sometimes I have those one hit clients where it's a nice it's a nice investment. Now I have to manage that because if you live in the cash flow, if I live in the cash flow, um, it's too easy to burn through it. So it's like, mm -hmm. no, we have to have a discipline. Every dollar has a job. Every dollar has a responsibility. And there's even a bucket for play money to like, oh, no, we have to go enjoy this money now. Because yeah. we have the investment, we have the savings, we have the household. We have to go entertain ourselves. We, The universe demands we have a date. Oh, darn. I love the fun money bucket. I, I yeah. When I tell my clients to set aside 10% of their money for fun, they're like, I'm not doing that. There's no way. I go, we'll work up to it. Start with 1% yeah. and build up. Mm -hmm. And if they're really resistant, I have them do a $20 our challenge. Go spend $20 on just you and enjoy it. Notice how you feel when you spend that money, you know, because money is a great tool that we have. Um, and I would say the, the most powerful tool that we have are our thoughts. When it comes to having a relationship with money, understanding what drives us to make the purchases. I always say our, our purchases need a purpose. Mm -hmm. Why are we investing in what we're investing in and what drives us? And it's the same as with dating. When you're choosing a partner, you're looking for their core values or you're looking for likes, you know, what makes them happy, what makes them tick, what makes them have fun, right? You're just not going to like start dating a person and saying, oh, okay. And sometimes I feel like that's what we do with money. It's like, I, we just go to our nine to five or we go to our entrepreneurial world and we're like, I need to get this client. I need to finish this job so I can get my paycheck. So how do you, in your experience, how do you see that parallel? Yeah. Well, if, if you're not, deliberate and intentional with your cash flow, then you start to live in a place of expectation, demand, and that can very much begin to bleed over into your intimate life, into your family situation, because I need you to do this chore or this activity, or I need you to, to carry your load. I need you to carry your bucket because I don't have the bandwidth to care because I got to go make money. Like mm -hmm. I, my job is to go make money. So your job is to keep the house clean or your job. And it leads to this compartmentalization and this separation. And, and then, you know, I see this with my clients all the time. They're not a family, like, like they're not a power partnership because mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's separate. Everyone's on their own boat and everyone's captain of their own stuff. And it's a lot of projection and you didn't do this and you let me down versus well, how can we share this responsibility? Like I'll say to my kids when they make a mistake, we don't really use punishment. Okay. That's not okay. So what can we do to make this better? How, what do we learn from this? So we don't repeat it. And then what can we do better next time? But I use the word we, because there's a shared ownership. Because I'm leadership, and if they didn't perform at a level, was my expectation, my outcome, was I communicating that clearly? So when then we get compartmentalized in our income, it very easily can compartmentalize every other dimension of our lives because I don't care how you feel, I have to go make X number of dollars. That's a very transactional relationship as a salesperson, but it also ends up transactional with the people we love most. Yeah. And that's a great parallel. I like that visual because we do need to take ownership. And when, you know, a lot of times, like when I know when I was growing up, we never talked about finances, money was taboo. And 
my grandmother used to talk to me about money. She'd tell me, okay, you know, taught me the money envelope system and said, you know, every time you get money, you take 10%, give it to church, 10% you get to save. And I was like, well, what do I get to do with the other 80%? She's like, whatever you want. And, you know, have a plan. Maybe you want to save for a bike or something. And so that I would just would think about what you really want to use the money for. And if you're not sure, just let it, you know, stay. And eventually you can open up a bank account and things of that nature. I think I was like six or seven. And, you know, in my house, it was, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. It was um, feast or famine. You know, they're both my parents were, um, my dad was a barber. My mom was a hairdresser, cosmetologist, and they owned a shop together. And then my dad had a contracting business and then they split up and they got divorced. And I like to say most of the money went with my dad. My mom had to start from scratch. She got zilch. (laughs) She had nothing. And starting all over again, both with her money and her her own relationship with herself, her self-confidence and all of that. What's your experience in that? And how do you support your clients in that way on that journey? Yeah. So so we really have to separate self-worth from net worth, right? Because like like I'll talk with my clients and we'll make a distinction between being rich and being wealthy. Rich is a bank account, wealth is a state of being. Because there's some people, all they have is money. And I was fortunate in my life, I dated a billionaire sister. And so I've been around large money. And for some people at that level, it really is, they're just really good at spreadsheets and dollars and managing large structures. But is the quality of life there? Is the joy there? Is the playfulness there? No, because my time is worth X number of dollars. And so we'll do an exercise of like, if you were being paid a billion dollars a year, what's your time worth on a standard work year? Right. Mm -hmm. Because 50 bucks an hour, you're making 100,000 a year. Uh, 500 bucks an hour, you're making 100,000 a year. Or I'm sorry, you're making a million a year. So, like, what do you got to do to make a billion a year? And people, oh, yeah, you're going to make $5,000. No. Do the math. It's much, much bigger. And so, when your time is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour, all of a sudden, your patience changes. Mm -hmm. And so, it's like we've really got to look at like money is beyond a certain level, it just becomes finance. Is it enriching your life? Do you have gratitude? Can you enjoy yourself or are you a slave to your money and your business machinery so that like you're a business owner, but you're working a hundred hours a week? Mm-hmm. Like you're not a business owner, you're self-employed. If you can leave that business and it can still run and generate, make money. Now you own a business because mm-hmm. you have an entity separate from you as a person. So if you took a break from your family and like, I have a retreat that I need to go to, or I have a work conference I need to go to, can they function? Can they grow? Can they thrive without you? Or are they going to stagnate and die? Because if they're stagnating, you guys are codependent. Mm-hmm. It should be that we're able to like, we're, we're all trampolines for each other. We can amplify each other. We can expand each other. So, but to do that, accountability, responsibility, ownership, not to push stuff, but to like, how are you showing up and am I meeting you? And and I'll give you an easy example. I had a client and businesswoman crushing it, fantastic at work, but she's got problems with her teenage daughter. Mm -hmm. And I had a, I had a parenting conference that that she, her husband came to and she wasn't because she had a work conference. Oh, it got canceled because of bad weather. She gets to be at my workshop and I was explaining positional authority I'm right. Do it my way. Shut up and follow me. Influential leadership, aligning vision and values. And there was this light bulb moment and this huge intake of air. And I was like, did we shift something? And she's like, that's why I'm here. And I was like, please elaborate. At work, I'm an influential leader. I I build with my team and I this, this, this. At home, I'm positional. I just expect my kids to toe the line. 
And that one realization pivoted her relationship with her teenage daughter and it was no longer a battleground because shut up and do it. I don't need to be that way. And that's a powerful shift. So where can we create alignment? It's like you're saying with, with cash flow. it's like, how do we speed that process up? How do we make that move effortlessly? Life gets easier. Life mm -hmm. gets more fun. And isn't that what we want for our kids? Do we want to raise them with drudgery and show up and punch the clock and do your thing? Or they get to work, they get to create, they get to do chores, they get to make the house look better than it was when they started. Like mm -hmm. that's a much more powerful place to raise our kids from because life is more fun and more playful and more open. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's so true. And, and using that language, you know, our language patterns are so important in what we say we get to do it. And like, we get to pay our bills. We get to, turn on, you know, we get to pay the electric bill. So we have electricity. Yeah. <laughs> I love I electricity. I'd love to be able to see. <laughs> well, at one point in my life, I was living in the woods in a tent for a couple of months because life situations got complicated. Boy, howdy. It's nice to have central air. It's nice <laughs> to have heat. I like those things. So yeah, I'll pay for that. That's fine. Yeah. One of the biggest things entrepreneurs don't like to pay, pay for is taxes. <laughs> oh, far and far, guess. I love paying the tax bill. I worked for Uncle Sam for 30 years. You know, and the taxes help others. It's it's creating that That's reciprocal true. energy, you know, and the nice roads that we drive down and some of the services that we have that are available to us. You know, they serve a good purpose. And as entrepreneurs, it's so important to pay our taxes, especially if you live in the U.S., because um, a lot of people want to, you know, have an exit plan and they want to collect a social security benefit. In order to collect right. that, you got to pay your taxes. So when you think about in. the bills that you get to pay, <laughs> what's your most favorite bill to pay? Uh, my favorite is, it's a love-hate relationship at times, but health insurance, because my daughter has a thyroid thing. And so her being able to get the support that she needs is awesome. Um she was born 14 weeks early. And so if we didn't have health insurance, she wouldn't be here. So oh, wow. as much as I, I get frustrated with some of the, the mechanisms and like there's better ways to handle, more efficient ways to handle, man, I'm glad we're able to do this and we're able to get her medical treatment support that she needs to maintain a high quality of health. Yeah, that's so important. I know as I'm an independent insurance broker and the cost of health has raised, risen so much for 2024, it's almost doubled in certain areas. And I was mm. like, how do they expect people to pay for that? If you get a tax shelter, it's not so bad, but without a tax shelter, it's it's so expensive. I was like- Oh hey. yeah. Well, well you, pl you play the, what you're looking at is for a lot of people, I'm going to pay a low premium, but then I've got this ridiculous deductible that I'm never going to exactly. hit. Exactly. Exactly. is the trade-off and it's like okay well what do i have how much money do i have to make to not even play in this health insurance thing yeah because then you can, you can like you said tax shelter there's structures there's ways you can work backwards to go okay what do i really want to do if, if it really matters to me that much and mm -hmm. i'm losing sleep over it i'm so angry okay cool is it worth hanging on to that energy or just it's all figure outable so right work your, work your way backwards what do you want to feel what do you want to how do you want to live go back to that wealth conversation being in a place mm -hmm. of gratitude and appreciation cool well if, if you could just design that system then mm -hmm. why not just design that and then go do what it takes to make that happen because the u.s yeah. our tax code is designed to do some really really cool stuff and it's designed to reward you for taking risk but you mm -hmm. got to know what you're doing versus complain about what you don't understand that's just silliness yeah, well, that's the general population complains. 
what I'm having that much that that's outrageous. And well, it could be if that's how you perceive it, but it's also taking care of your needs. And if something does happen, you don't have insurance, how much money is that going to cost you? And do you have that money set aside to be able to handle that? If you have a money bucket for health care, go for it. I know in Florida, there's a lot of doctors that are offering, I'm not going to be able to say this big old word right now. Um, it's kind you can help me out here. Kind concierge. Concierge. Concierge, yeah. So so basically, yeah, yeah it, it's private, private label insurance of just I'll you put me on a retainer and then if you need me, I'll come give you support. Cool. Yeah. And it's very yeah. I, I was kind of shocked because it was it's not popular in New York State. Um, but in Florida it's very popular. And I thought, why would anybody do that? But that's an investment, that's a risk that they're willing to take. And you know, it doesn't cover everything, but if you want to upfront that money and have that kind of service with your primary, that's certainly your option. But that's how we look at all of our money transactions. Like so many people think that, oh, I have this money, I need to get rid of it. Like people have a hard time holding on to the frequency of money. And when they oh, get yeah. it, it's their hands are like sieves. It's just, it just, there's no plan for their money whatsoever. And a lot of, a lot of um, people I talk to are like, well, I don't have any money. I'm like, well, yes, you do, because you have a home you have a car, you're paying for, you know, you're traveling, you're doing all these things, you have money from somewhere. Well, what they ignore is their assets. Mm -hmm. And I was guilty of this when I was going through my midlife crisis. I had no idea what my assets were. And I, money and I were in an argument. We were given, I was given money the silent treatment. <laughs> like I'm, I'm tired with you. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, well, I, my money I, was still working, but what well, is why I find well, I find on that point, right? People that are like, oh, well, I don't have anything. And it's like for them, a lot of times, just the language uh, do you have a budget or do you have a spending plan? Mm -hmm. Because a budget can feel like a constraint. I had a, a couple I worked with, and the husband, like, look, I give her $1,000 a month, and it, it doesn't matter what I give her. It was 500 she spent 750 I give her 750 she spends 1000 Like, we can't keep creeping like this. And so I was talking with them, and I was, like, you know, asking her specifically, when, when I say being on a budget, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, that's restriction. Mm -hmm. That's control. That's power. It's all this stuff. I'm like, well, what if you had a spending plan? Well, that could be fun. Mm-hmm. And so now the challenge for her husband, because he's the primary income guy, she makes some money, but he's the primary. How can the two of you create a spending plan that excites her to enjoy the money now and that excites you to enjoy the money in retirement? Mm -hmm. Because because then he's looking at, well, I'm spending money on my retirement. No, for him, budget works better. I'm budgeting for my retirement. That works for him. But for her, wait, I'm spending money now that I can enjoy later because it's investing and compounding. Oh, I like right. the sound of that. And and we're not doing anything super fantastically right. sophisticated or, or hinky, but just that label spending plan and she's going to spend money on her investment. Mm -hmm. Saying it that way made it made it exciting for her. It made it fun and juicy because she grew up, didn't have a lot of money. And so to, to spend it makes her feel alive. So every right. time he says budget, she's contained and made small and doesn't want to fool her, doesn't want to fool around with him as much. Oh, he's not interesting. Yeah. So let's get her to, <laughs> let's get her to a spending plan. Then she wants to spend her energy more freely and she'll be more free with you. Who loses? Right. Exactly. The choice I, of our words are so important. Oh, yeah. uh, when when my clients work with me, we call it a wealth activation roadmap. I do not like nice. the word budget. I remember when I was, you know, getting certified as a financial coach, it was like you got to restrict your clients and tell them to stay to this stringent budget. I'm like, no, I know I can't do it. And like, 
I remember well, you can you can do that for your clients, but yeah. for my clients, <laughs> we're gonna do this. Thank you. But yeah, and one of my clients likes to call it her treasure map. So nice. she's treasure map. And nice. every week she goes through her treasure map and makes her, you know, finds her treasures and invest in her, you know, her four needs, the four walls, and she has a blast. She makes a nice. lot of fun. So nice. having she can have like, like then she can enjoy like today, you know, it's a booty day and people are like, What are you talking about? You're working out? No, no, I'm harvesting my booty. I get my yeah. dividends, I get my interest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And making it fun is what it's all about. That's what dating money is all about. It's just creating that fun, creating like looking at your own core values and saying like, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. I'm not, I don't want a budget. You know, I don't want debt. I don't want this. I don't know. I don't, you know, I have to pay this. You don't have to pay anything. You get to pay it. But when we do incur debt, it creates this roller coaster in the sense of, burden, right? Like, you know, that mm -hmm. big old bag that we're carrying that, that baggage. And we tend to hate everyone around us, especially our partners, our spouses. Um, especially if you have an opposite, you know, you always have the, usually the man's the saver and the woman's the spender. Um, but it does work the other way around too. I've, I've worked with couples who the guy's the save spender and the wife's the saver, which is very unusual. Um, so what do you, how do you work around that? What's your language that you like to use with your clients? Yeah, it really comes down to, well, wait a minute, who's driving the bus? Because whoever my saver is, is almost always, it's the retirement community, right? It's the retirement fund. So when you go to them and you say, hey, you know, I want to do this with the backyard and I want to expand this and I want that. It's like, no, immediately you get vetoed. And you're like, okay, who has the power of veto when it comes to finances? Mm -hmm. Because that's usually the retirement committee. So we, what we need to do is now we need to frame our requests in a way that that adds value and makes a win for the retirement. So if we're going to, oh, I want to spend $15,000 to do this to the property, I'm going to add a pool and landscaping and a green area and this and this. It's like, oh, no, we're not spending 15000 No, because it's, it's, it's transaction in the moment. We're going to lose 15000 and all the compounded interest versus, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, I've been looking at the house and our community and our neighborhood and greenery has been selling really well and increases property value. Would you be interested if we made a small investment now that could be worth double or triple when we sell? Mm -hmm. Now the retirement community is like, tell me more. The retirement fund is interested. It's like, well, we're going to spend 15 to do this and this. Or actually, we'll spend 10. We won't do this piece, but we'll do these two pieces. And then we can, we can triple our money when we sell the house. Well, wait a minute. What if we did the third piece and now instead of tripling on 10, we're tripling on 15? Mm -hmm. We should do the 15. Well, if you say so. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, are you being manipulative or are you aligning with the higher values of who you're talking to? And that's really the yeah. conversation is like, what needs are being met by this pattern of behavior? Mm -hmm. And, and what's the emotion driving it underneath it? Because if we can connect to that emotion, what if we could have a better way to get to that same result or a more powerful result? Well, I want to hear more. All right, cool. So it's, it's being able to take away the fault, blame, guilt, shame, take away the power and control. It's a technique I call spotlighting. If you had it all your way, what would we do? We would do this. <laughs> cool. And what would that make what, what would that make possible for you? What would that give you? What would that make real for you? That. Ah, so that is what they actually want is this thing underneath whatever they said. How can I get to that result in a more powerful way that aligns with them or through their model, their pathway? Mm -hmm. Go to that and now we both win cool and so that's really it's taking the whole entire conversation sideways they're both right 
from their own model of the world, their own perspective, cool, let's create alignment to what's that higher purpose or that deeper value. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that description. It really puts it in the center and it makes you realize that was my idea. I don't find it manipulative at all. It's more like these are the possibilities. And when we can dream and and see, like go through the what ifs, like, you know, most of our fear around spending is that we don't see the ROI on it. And when you right. can look and say, okay, if I do this thing, how is it going to help me? And if I don't do this thing, what's, what's the benefit either way, you know, or what's, right. what is, how is it going to affect me negatively or positively? Right. So knowing that that's part of being a financial genius, like just knowing the outcome and saying, okay, well, like we had an opportunity to buy um, a couple of kayaks and we have access to kayaks and my husband, I'm like, well, do you want to like, you know, get them? They're beautiful. They're, they're slightly used. Our neighbors are moving and they're the perfect colors for each of us. And my husband's like, well, we, I don't really need, we don't really need them. No, we don't need them, but do we want them? We talked about getting one extra because our neighbors only have three. And we went back and forth and I was just like, well, let me just go play golf and think about it. <laughs> so by the time I got home from golf, I'm like, I don't need a kayak. I have access to lots of kayaks. So just really asking yourself, what's the purpose of the purchase is so important. When you yeah. go back to childhood, what's your earliest memory around being introduced to money? Oh, that was a fun one. Cause I actually, I had this come up in a workshop one time. Cause I couldn't, I was like, what's my earliest memory around money? I don't have one. Oh wait, no, there's, so what happened was my brother has uh, some attention processing stuff. And this was back in the early eighties. And so my parents, like the guy they were working with, the, the doctor was like, okay, well, well, he needs to go and play, you know, be in a large high sensory environment, learn to focus in a high sensory environment. So they took my brother to an arcade when he was 11. And they brought me, who was seven, and I was raised on a leash because I ran into traffic when I was four, and I climbed the tree and got on the roof of the house in the backyard when we lived in Turkey, and I would fall asleep standing up. I have a very low excitation threshold. I'm excited about a lot of stuff real quick, and so now I'm in an arcade, and my dad is trying to get my brother to play video games and focus, and they're picking out the game, and there's all this stuff, and my deal is like, Hey, dad, can I have a quarter? Because there's a game over there I want to play. This is a really cool game. Can I have a quarter, dad? Can I have a quarter? Because I'm going to go play the game. And I'm like on him, right? And he can't get room to talk to my brother because I want a quarter, dad. I just want a quarter. Why would you bring me to an arcade and not give me a quarter to go play a game? I just want to go over here. I'll be fine. You can see me right here. I'll just be right on the corner, but I'll be right there. You'll see it. I'm totally fine. Can I have a quarter? <laughs> and so my dad's getting more and more frustrated. And finally, he just blows up and he like throws the quarters against the machine and storms out. And I'm really confused as to why he's upset because I just needed a quarter. And so I'm just going to take one of the quarters. And I went to go play because I'm going to go play because that's all I wanted was a quarter. Like I had no emotional attachment to this whole exchange. I was just confused mm -hmm. about why he blew up about that. And, and I had had, and then as I remembered that memory, I had an earlier one when I was five and I took $20 out of my mom's purse and we lived in Saudi. And I went literally across the street to the, to the, to the, the branch exchange. We were military and I wanted to know how many quarters are in, in $5. It turns out it's 20. And then, well, I have 20 quarters. Oh, look, there's a Pac-Man. I can put a quarter in and I can play Pac-Man. So I disappeared without my mom knowing what was going on for 45 minutes. I just disappeared out of the house and she's freaking out. And eventually they found me just happy as a clam. And I was really confused why they're upset because, well, I just, I, I was safe. I knew where I was. I was right here. I'm just playing with the quarters. Mm -hmm. So, so like my first two memories of money are both of being confused and why people are so upset around stuff. Cause mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just having fun. I'm cool.
Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting. Well, I see you overcame any any uh, trauma that may have developed from that confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, for, for me, it's still like, like people say whatever costs, whatever. I'm like, okay. Like, like, you know, it's a million dollars. Okay, cool. I'll figure it out. Like, like I got to figure out how to get you a million dollars so that I can get the experience that I want, or I can have the thing that I, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not here to argue. I'm just like, all right, if that's what you need, awesome. I will get it for you. There's easier ways to get to that outcome. There's simpler things, but okay. So it's like, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting for me because I don't have a lot of like fear and doubt and, and struggle. Um, in my Kung Fu school, when I had it, my best month, I did like $28,000 in cash and $360,000 in receivables. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was spread out over like six years. So 360,000 is like, wow, that's a lot, but I was going to collect it over six years. So it's only like 60 grand a year. It's not that big a deal. But to ask someone to invest in their success for the next six years for mm -hmm. eight, nine, ten thousand dollars back in the nineties, I was perfectly congruent. Mm -hmm. Well, the value you'd agree the value's there. Right. I mean, I, I have students that are going to college on scholarship and they credit me with their attitude and their mindset and their work ethic, and they got 150 grand for college. So if you're gonna invest 10 with me over the next six years, your kid can defend their life and you've got the opportunity for scholarships and grants that at least 10 X is it the, the investments there, it's worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Absolutely. So let's just let's just go ahead and finalize this. Yeah. Yeah. It works. That's a great way to uh, get someone's attention and help them realize like this is a great investment and you will you will see an ROI. Oh, absolutely. You know? and absolutely. Not just, That's, not just yeah. in the money, but in the mindset as well. And is in the, yeah. you know, the it generates additional income because now yeah. you have that disciplined person who's furthering their education, it's going to create a ripple effect. And that's it. And then you have grandkids that are raised by that person. And yeah. so like we can change a whole family trajectory. So like when you mentioned Definitely. ROI earlier, you know, my brain goes ROI, physical return, mental return, emotional return, social, spiritual, financial relationship. Like mm -hmm. there's so many levels and layers. Cause it's not like, like I don't spend money. My wife doesn't spend money. We invest it. Mm -hmm. Right. We're going to invest in this experience. We're going to invest in this tool. We're going to invest in this, whatever the thing is, because for us, there's going to be a return of some, something, sometimes it's lessons. We invested a lot of money in a high-end coach and it was like, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And they didn't live up to any of their promises. Awesome. Let's never be like them. What a great lesson. Right. Expensive lesson. I don't ever want to learn it again. Yeah. Okay. But we can absorb this and we can learn and we can raise our standards and we can move forward. Okay. And now I'm going to make sure my kids learn that lesson before they're 18 so they don't have the same expensive lesson I did. Same thing I started the call with today is, is you know, investing in radio. It was $20,000 that did nothing for me mm -hmm. because it was, it was just cast too wide and the attention span was too short. So if there was a more direct way to invest that money, which there is now, um, the ROI could have been so much better. It could have been multiples mm -hmm. of a return. I could have made 60 or a hundred thousand on that $20,000 investment. If I had done it more intelligently today, give me the 20 grand. I could definitely m multiply it. Mm -hmm. Right. But back then I got a bunch of ideas, a bunch of theory. Let's just throw it all against the wall. See what sticks. Yeah. I don't like that idea, but <laughs> what's the best investment yeah, you've ever made? The best investment in my own education. 
Awesome. It has been because, because I was, I had, I had some stuff take me sideways at five and six and I got caught up in patterns of anger and survival mode for about 20 years. And, and the vehicle, the way to get out of that was through myself is continually mm -hmm. getting, getting myself out of my own way. And the only way to do that is education, mm -hmm. right? We don't see our blind spots. We can't. It's like trying to see the back of your head. You need, you can use one hand, one mirror. You can see almost your whole body, but you literally can't see the back of your head unless you have two mirrors. Mm -hmm. So there are parts of us that we literally cannot see. No matter how much we try, we need other people around us to point back. We need other filters and frames. And so that education, that willingness to take the risk, that willingness to speak up, to step up. When I went to college, I sat in the front row and I talked trash with the, with the professors every chance I got. Because out of, a, out of a room of 400 people, they're going to know who I am because mm -hmm. then they're going to care about my education. That's market differentiation. What a great concept to teach kids to stand out in the marketplace. When I taught self-defense, bicep to the ear, raise your hand, which is actually a choke when someone's standing and pushing you. Bicep to the ear, you can break the grip off your throat. It's way more powerful than using your hands bent or using your arm bent. So I taught my martial arts students, raise your hand. How many of your classmates raise their hands like this? None. How many of them look at the teacher in the eyes? None. That's all market differentiation. That one idea, carry that forward and invest it everywhere you go, you'll get dividends. Look at people in the eye when you talk to them. Shoulders back, head up, engage. Say sir, say ma'am, because how many of your classmates do? None. Mm -hmm. You'll automatically stand out. But in a good way, because you make the, feature, make the teacher feel warm, big, and happy. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Mm -hmm. I, when I, I wrote my parenting book and a buddy of mine is a, is a business guy. And he's like, I go to a workshop, I'll spend eight, $10,000. I get one idea. It's worth it. He got at least eight ideas out of my book for a relationship impact with his son. And his son was still like in middle school. Well, now he's, he's college scholarship running, pushing against world records for running mm -hmm. because that shift he could have hammered his son and forced him, but what if you could create a game with your son? You both get to win. You both get to feel good. Mm -hmm. Just that pivot changed his whole strategy of parenting. And it's like, that's the beauty of education. We get one idea. We can carry it and use it over and over and over. So investing in our education, for me, that has been absolutely hands down the most important thing because I was a massive egocentric jerk when I was younger. And then I'm so glad I didn't have kids in my twenties because I would have ruined them because of me, not them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What we, then what we demonstrate our kids pick up faster than anything that we say, <laughs> the way we yeah, act has such a great there's, impact. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a great quote I have in my book from Robert Fulgram. And he said, don't be afraid that your kids never listen. Be afraid that they're always watching. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Our kids don't become what we say they become what we are. Exactly. And a lot of, a lot of ways that we are is because of the way we were taught, you know, and I always exactly. like to call that a generational curse, um, yeah. you know, because we never really taught anything. We're always caught. We catch everything. So yeah. everything we know is caught. <laughs> yeah. And then well, we have to look at it and say, wait a minute, is this really what I believe to be true? To have a dog, you have to have a license to have mm -hmm. a kid. You just got to pass puberty. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> there, there might we we might want to have some tools and some things that we teach kids like earlier maybe yeah that's why the the book I wrote is your best child ever is this game worth winning everything we do is human behavior it's a game 
are you mm -hmm. playing a game that's, that's worth winning? Or are you playing a game nobody can ever win? Because we pick up rules unconsciously. Like you said, we catch, right? When our parents rail against the government or against God or against some injustice, we as kids, we have this blank slate and we just go, oh, that's what it is. It must be. Like mm -hmm. your kids don't know you're a success or you're a failure until you tell them. Right. Because they think they think you're amazing. You can yeah. reach the top shelf. You can open the bottle. You <laughs> make the food. You're incredible. Well, regardless Until of what you do or don't do, your kids think you're wonderful. I mean, there's some bad yeah. parents out there that don't pay attention kids. to the kids. They aren't even physically, emotionally available to their children, and their children love them deeply. Yeah. I mean, definitely have that tie. But yeah, Absolutely. and knowing that just that security is so important for our development and our upbringing. We just learn so much as we grow older. So you've got a lot of great insights. Um, Thank you. Run, say the name of your book again. It's called Your Best Child Ever. Is This Game Worth Winning? It is the only okay. parenting book with a money back guarantee. Awesome. And why does well, it have a money back guarantee? Just curious. Because I wrote it when I was single. I didn't have kids and I wasn't dating. But oh. I had been teaching Kung Fu for 17 years. So I kept seeing these same patterns in families and I had strategies to get around them. And I had been doing my own personal growth for about 25 years at that point. And so I saw families with a lot of love, but I saw miscues, miscommunications, right? I had a family, mom, dad, daughter are auditory. So they talk about problems when things go bad. The five-year-old son is visual kinesthetic. So he needs to see stuff and feel stuff. Mm -hmm. So when they're sitting down to talk about their problems, he's melting in the chair because he can't create the picture of the words. Mm. And it, it's not a lack of love. He just feels like nobody cares about him. And he feels that they don't, all you guys ever do is talk. So he feels like he doesn't belong in his family. It has nothing to do with love. Mm -hmm. It's just mischanneling communication. So he needs to see. So draw him pictures. Talk with your hands more. Like, like this is an easy hack. It's, I, I have a, a course for like, here's how to get your kids to listen. Because maybe they're not auditory. Maybe they can't listen. Maybe they need you to show them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need to do it with you. Maybe you need to give them the right idea. And once they have the concept, they can produce the result. They just don't understand why. And because they don't have why, they can't do it or they won't do it or they're obstinate, not because they're oppositional defiant, because you're a positional authority person who's demanding compliance without ever explaining what that looks like to someone right. who needs to see it. Yeah, that's right? amazing. Yeah, and it's not a lack of love. So I put a money back guarantee because it's like, look, I have scripts and patterns. They work because I don't care about being right. I care about results. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to adapt. I'm willing to stop this to do that because that's not working today. It might have worked yesterday. It might work tomorrow, but it's not yeah. working now. Cool. Always reflecting and refining. And we need to do the same thing with our finances because, you know, what you're doing today, if you're on a roller coaster, especially, you know, you feel like you're living client to client or check to check you know, creating a system that works for you and, and reflecting and refining on it and making adjustments and knowing that it's not set in stone just because you create it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. We're always reflecting, revolving and looking and seeing and we grow as we get deeper into our own, um, you know, past issues and traumas and things like that. We peel back the layers and we're like, okay, now that I've learned from this, mess I got myself in. Now I know better. I can do things differently. And that way isn't really working for me anymore. I want to try it this way. And always doing that because that's how, I mean, that's how you grow your business. That's how you grow your relationships. And that's how you grow your money. 
and to be able to create that beautiful legacy. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your wisdom and your sharing. What's the best financial tip that you can give the audience that has helped you level up? The best tip is index funds and sooner rather than later, but index funds that give you dividends because you want interest and dividends. You want money babies and money grandbabies. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) From the richest man in Babylon. If you read that book, (laughs) we talk about our our money having grandbabies and great, great, great grandbabies. Well, thank you so much. That's how I explained it to my daughter when, when my daughter was seven. That's how we started talking because she has 80% of the money she makes right now or gets goes into investing because it's going to make her money babies and money grandbabies, interest and dividends. Mm-hmm. And she's excited. Awesome. She wants to see how it's growing. Yeah. Yeah. Dating that money once a week will help her see that. Mm-hmm. Get her young, teach a generation. That's fantastic. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. This is a great conversation. And I love the playfulness that you're bringing to what can be a very scary and ugly conversation for a lot of people because they feel like there's not enough. And it's like, ladies, gentlemen, there's trillions of dollars moving around you all the time. You Mm -hmm. just need to tap into the pipeline. You don't even have to create it. You just have to tap into it. And the only way to do that is education. So Mm -hmm. Lisa, what you're doing, you are destigmatizing what can be a very messy conversation. You're bringing love and light and playfulness to it. And that's what the world needs more of. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. For those of you listening, please check the show notes to connect with Jeremy. Go get his book, especially if you're, you know, a parent, a grandparent, you know, a parent, which we all do Uh, get the book Christmas, you know, holidays are coming up, you know, and you can give a gift whenever you don't have to wait for a certain time of the holiday. Um, So, and those of you who are listening, please show the show the show. (laughs) I like that. I haven't come up with that one yet. I know it's been said before. Give the show some love. Um, share it with your friends, give us a five-star review. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. Hey, 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 thanks for tuning into the show. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Get ready to activate wealth. Be the next millionaire. With a simple adjustment of your finances using an energetically aligned money multiplier system, you get to build wealth by partnering with money. It's time to have fun with finances. Pick a date, the link is in the show notes, to book your wealth activation call where you will get the one solution to multiply your money. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it.